Hello everyone, welcome to the Human Behind Their Chair podcast. With me, my first guest today is Alexandra Apple. I'm so excited. She's such a boss babe. Uh, she owns Unlisted. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi everyone. Thanks for having me as your first guest. I'm so excited to get to know you. So how long have you been a hairdresser for? Uh, feels like forever. <laughs> um, I think it's been 11, 12 years, actually. Probably 12 years. Oh, yeah. damn, girl. Yeah. 12 years. I've been doing it since uh, I did it right after high school. So. Same. Yeah. Like, you graduated high school around, like, 16, 17 as well? Yeah, yeah. Damn. And how long have you owned Unlisted for? Uh, seven years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what made you want to open up a salon? Uh, well, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. <laughs> I actually didn't want to open up a salon. Uh, after hair school, I felt too young to start a career. So I love doing hair, but I didn't really take it serious. And uh, I did a makeup class afterwards. And then I did a fashion marketing class. And when I did fashion marketing, I specifically was like, okay, fuck business. It's so hard. I never want to do that. Um, and so was, it's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. It's the hard. numbers. Yeah. It's the numbers that you're like. The numbers and you just need this. It seems that from the outside you need this master plan. And then you're like, how the fuck do I make that work? So I was just like, fuck business. Like, I was happy to learn it. I like the marketing because that was very creative. But the numbers and all that, I was like, hell no. But long story short, I, I didn't feel like I wanted to work for any sort of fashion company in Montreal and I was like you know what I'm just gonna take this hair thing serious I'm gonna see how far I can go with it and if I you know worst comes to worst I'll fall back on a nine-to-five office job and I couldn't find a, a salon in Montreal that spoke to me I felt like none of them were really like reaching the clientele that I wanted um, they weren't utilizing social media at the time this was like in 2011 2012 <laughs> so oh yeah that's when social media really really just started yeah exactly you know so I was just like okay nobody's like being very avant-garde or whatever so I was like you know what I'm gonna do this from my apartment by myself for a year stop it you started out of your apartment <laughs> yeah. I feel um, like that's so scary just because you're like you don't know who you're trusting in yeah, your apartment as well yeah that's it, it did get weird which is why and after a year I, I moved into a loft space I found like a Actually, one of my clients at the time who was willing to split a loft space with me, uh, she made jewelry. And so I was like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Because, yeah, shit was getting weird. I've had, like, <laughs> weird guys coming for haircuts and stuff. And then you're like, okay, wait, this something doesn't make sense. Um, so, yeah, so it went well after a year, got into a loft space. That went well for a year. And then I wanted to kind of upgrade into something a bit more professional because the loft space was one of those spaces where it's, it's like... It's really open, right? Well, it's open and it was like, I'm third level to the left, like, you know, knock on you the really door. You really had to find yeah. it. <laughs> so it's a nice people would be like, where the hell are you? So yeah, so then uh, in that loft space is where I met um, Elfie, who does nails with us now. And um, that's where I met Kelsey, my assistant. And then, you know, slowly things kind of just kept upgrading so snowballing yeah and then next thing you know i had a business (laughs) honestly i think my favorite is your instagram i freaking love the stories i think they're so educative but educating but it's also really creative the way you do it oh thank you yeah so i think what i'm mostly curious about you looking through your life from when your childhood Mm -hmm. teenage years youth till now what what influenced you to be a hairdresser like what do you think looking back was like, yeah, this is the defining mm-hmm. moment and this is why I wanted to be a hairdresser. 
Um, it's really funny because growing up, my mom would always say, I don't care what you are. You could be a hairdresser as long as you're happy. <laughs> she was super supportive. Yeah. So I she, love that. Yeah. But it, at the same time, it's funny because she kind of always said, like, you'd be a hairdresser. Like, that's like, you know, nothing. But, I, but that was just nice to hear, you know? And, um, I actually, our, the high school I went to, it was, oh, sorry. <laughs> the high school I went to was, um, kind of stuck to an adult ed center that taught hair and uh being a budget student I went there to get my hair cut and I saw the girl get coached on how to cut my hair and I was like oh that's easy I could do that so I started uh giving haircuts to my family my friends and doing just you know a basic layered haircut and I was like this is easy people seem to trust me and I was like I think I have a, a knack for this so when I wasn't sure what to do after high school, I was actually debating between like social work or psychologist and then the hair. <laughs> That's so funny. And, yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I don't think I want to hear people talk about their problems all day. So I'm going to go with hair. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of like therapy, but there's a bit more creativity. So it's a bit yeah. more fun. Yeah. We love to get to know people and everything. Right? Yeah. Exactly. What school did you go to that was beside um... um I was, I went to school in Shadagi, which was on the South Shore. So oh, the yeah. high school is called Billings. Billings. Yeah. And it's attached to Nova, which had hairdressing. I think I've heard of Noah before. It sounds familiar. Yeah. So you grew up in Shadagay then? Yeah, my high school. Yeah, I got there in grade eight. Okay. Uh, yeah. Did you grow up in Montreal your whole life? Yes and no. We moved around like a lot. Um, I was born in LaSalle, moved to Vancouver where Stop. my dad lives until I was I four or Vancouver. five. Okay. I was only there till I was like five and then we came back. Um, my mom's from the reserve in Ganawake, so we lived there for a little bit, lived in Shadigi, lived in La Salle, um, and then back to Shadigi, and then now I live in the city, so, <laughs> but kind of. Oh, and at, at some point, we lived in the Abitsubi area, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that, those, all those places are so different. What's your yeah. most favorite place that you <clears throat> lived in? Um... I mean, I did like living in La Salle the most because it was closest to the city. I feel like I've always been a city girl. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and how was your childhood like from when you were living in all these different places like Vancouver with your dad and living mm -hmm. with your mom? Would you find a big difference from the um, reserve and Vancouver? Yeah, here? That's a so totally different environment. It's like so different. <laughs> I mean, up until I was like when uh my parents split like Vancouver was beautiful but I was so young I, I the only thing I remember is like the beautiful mountains in the back and the the sun and uh just like you know the neighborhood people we used to live um in White Rock which was by the beach kind of yes and so beautiful so I really just remember the beautiful nature aspect and the parks and stuff like that um and then coming back to Kahnawake it's so different <laughs> and it's a little bit more of like an inclusive community so I, I never felt um kind of included because I'm I'm not actually fully native since my dad is white and my mom's half half she's first generation Métis so she also always felt uh left out so that must have been so hard eh yeah so it was a bit of a weird a weird experience but being so young like it wasn't so bad I was mostly you know being raised in my grandma's house and stuff um, and then we quickly moved to La Salle, um, and that was really nice too. It was like a little bit more fun. Like I had more neighbors and kids and stuff playing together. So, yeah. And how old were you when your parents had split and divorced? Or? I think like four or five, something like Did that. Did you remember the experience? Was it like 
traumatizing anyway. Yeah, it was super traumatizing. Like, how did it happen? <laughs> I'm so curious. Uh, so it's okay. It's super traumatizing. Uh, but I, I'm healed. It's okay. Um, my father was an addict, um, and he was never able to overcome that. And so it just got to the point that things were getting violent. Things weren't really uh, safe, you know, for raising a child. And uh, him and my mom just had nothing left anymore. So it was time for her to come back where she had more support, which was at my grandma's. So that's yeah. a hard decision to make. Yeah. It's hard to get out of a toxic relationship and environment. Yeah. And my mom had me at 18. So she was young. She was so young. <laughs> but back in the day, everyone had kids at like yeah, 18, 19. It was like it was not a- as much of a big deal, you know. So, so yeah. So she was, she was like a baby herself, I feel. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I feel like I'm turning 24 in November and I'm like I feel like a fetus <laughs> I feel like a fetus like, you know fresh and born. yeah that's so yeah. crazy yeah. I feel like uh, addiction is so it's really hard it affects so many people mm-hmm. in their lives my my dad too was an addict mm-hmm. and like I'm so thankful my mom got out of that situation as well he was also abusive and mm-hmm. like he was a gambler as well and it's really hard to like unpack and process because mm-hmm. you're dealing it from such a different perspective than your mom was yeah yeah totally yeah yeah like I mean I remember being hurt but I remember her saying over and over like this is the best thing for both of us like you might not understand now but da 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 and, and you know like there's always those signs before like because um, my dad too there was some gambling there was some maybe it's theft, a little there was bit. alcohol there was a bit of everything a little bit of everything yeah, a lot so, of lying too yeah so I was I remember like friction starting to happen more and more so at a, at a point I also felt unsafe so I was like okay I guess this is it but that's all you know when you're so young so you're still sad and you're still kind of like confused you know? but you could feel you could like feel it on the inside like yeah, you know yeah. it's not right but you don't know for sure what it is that's not right yeah, right it's too complex for your little emotional brain 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. i definitely like dealing with that through therapy as well like now mm-hmm. when i'm older yeah like i didn't realize so many things that the little things that you remember back you're like holy crap that affected me so much now as a person mm-hmm. then have you and your mom ever talked about now what happened then oh for sure yeah it was like an ongoing ongoing discussion and still was i maybe or still is and was like we talked about it a lot then because since her being so young um i grew up kind of almost like her her bff you know she was i was like her ear so i probably knew way too much growing up um and so it was always a discussion but maybe from a different point of view and then as i got older and then i went to therapy myself and then started unpacking that then we talked about it again from a different point of view and then now, uh, actually, my father just passed this year. So oh, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> Thank you. So we started talking about it again in a different point of view, right? Because as you get older, each of us involved has different perspectives and different reflections and different ways where you see it. Um, and you, you know, see your parents you. as a human too now, right? Yeah. Like, I'm starting to see that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, my mom's a person too. Like, <laughs> exactly. she makes mistakes. She's yeah. a little crazy, but that's okay. Yeah, you know? you're not supposed to be perfect when you have a kid, right? You're just no. human. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. you forget that so much growing up. You, like, they're like this. Oh, my God. Your mom yeah. is never sick. Yeah. You never see your mom sick. That's, like, one of those things. I'm like, you're sick, mom? What? No, you're fine. Yeah. Like, it's so <laughs> crazy. So now that you have that conversation older and it's changing so much over time did you find it like hard because your mom had you so young and you talked to her about the fact that <coughs> you know it's okay <coughs> she has a little cold 
It's okay. <laughs> um, you know, changing and, and talking her. And did you t- have you ever told her that, you know, it was hard being her BFF, but also her kid at the same time? It's a very complex yeah. relationship. Have you ever talked to her about that as well? Uh, totally. Yeah, there was a time when I was probably around nine years old where I finally realized I knew too much and that I was hearing too much and I... I had to straight up tell her. Like, I was felt like I was almost going into a mild depression at, like, 9 or 10. And I was like... Oh, my God, and, so young, too. Yeah, and she was like, what's wrong with you lately? And I was like, you know what? I was like, I think I'm hearing too much that I shouldn't hear. And it's getting heavy. And I don't know what to do or say about it. And then she was like, holy shit. <laughs> She's like, you're right. And she kind of had to tell my whole family, too. Because, you know, um, my grandma's was kind of, like, the meeting place for everyone to just, like, talk and... Uh, dump their shit about what they're going through and um and so yeah I was just always hearing shit that probably I shouldn't probably people took it for granted that I was young and didn't think I cared or was listening but I always was partly because I'm nosy and partly because I'm curious same same (laughs) though (laughs) so so yeah so there was a point where she had to tell people to stop uh you know saying those things around me or whatever and then she she got it and um and that was nice yeah (laughs) and did it stop like immediately after you had that conversation with your mom Um, or just kind of slowly got a little better uh I'd say mostly like there was a pretty hard like intense or intentional like uh, withdrawal from the part of my family like especially about deep intense things Mm -hmm. um and yeah it slowly slowly got better until I got older and then I guess like it was just more of an open conversation yeah and how was your teenage years like with you living with your mom and, and your grandma mm. and everything. Did you only ever live with your, mostly with your grandma or your uh, mom? No, my grandma was always on and off for a couple of years. It would be like uh, between homes or whatever. Um, so it wasn't my teenage years. It was more like uh, my preteen or like, yeah, between like probably 9 and 12. And then uh, maybe again in high school briefly for a couple months uh, when we moved back from the Bitsubi area. Um, but... How, so you said, how was my, what? Yeah, how, your teen, how was your teenage years? <laughs> oh, yeah, my teenage years. Uh, I'm just curious, <laughs> just because, you know, like, the reserves and, you know, places mm-hmm. that, us here in Montreal, that's not reserved. It's completely different. I've never had that experience. You know, my experience is such, it's so different from yours. It's like, uh, my mom is an immigrant from mm-hmm. Vietnam. She was one of those boat people. So I had that experience, my first language was Vietnamese, and, like, my mom doesn't even speak English. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's, I'm so curious to see how that was like as your teenager, because <clears throat> my teenage years, it was, like, I felt so different from everyone. Mm-hmm. I felt like such an outsider, and I felt like, I really noticed when, I, if I was in a room, like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, the only Asian person in this room. Uh-huh. It, it, especially when I moved from Vancouver to Montreal, mm-hmm. right when I was 14, and it was like one of those like angst period of my life and I was like so angry (laughs) and I was like wow this is it was such a crazy change and out and I don't know I feel like it's just I'm just curious how your teenage years was when you were Mm -hmm. moving that much and you're Mm -hmm. just right after your traumatizing years of your you know parents splitting Mm -hmm. and moving that much how how was it being a teenager uh being a teenager was fucking hard I mean in general I think even when people have a a stable home their teenage years are always rough you're angsty you feel like no one understands you which is completely untrue (laughs) but you just don't know how to express yourself so um I mean I'd say I passed my preteen early preteens in a Bitsubi area uh on a reserve as well actually because my mom met 
uh, I have two younger siblings. She met their father, um, and he was from there. So we moved there. Um, and that was a interesting experience. Like, um, again, like a lot of these, uh, native communities, rightfully so they're very like weary of, of white people coming in and, and, uh, so because they were kind of like, who's this new white kid? <laughs> and, uh, it was hard to, you know, I remember maybe the first time going to the park and they were like, you know, talking about me and they were ignoring me or saying mean things about me and just like that kind of like mild bullying at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had to just ignore it or pretend I didn't hear right. <laughs> just to like survive. And then once it was time to go to school, because we probably arrived before September um, and then, you know, <clears throat> slowly trying to get to know people and stuff, but it, it was rough because, um, you know, these people have a lot of generational trauma um, and so that causes them sometimes to make bad decisions when, yeah. when meeting new people. So, I mean, seeing it now, I'm like, okay, whatever. And thank God social media wasn't as or really a thing then. Like, I laugh about it now, but I'm like, I got bullied by email, <laughs> you know? Like, Shut <laughs> up. Yeah. How did you get bullied by email? <laughs> I don't know. I guess like... Uh, I didn't even know how to use email. <laughs> right? I know. But um, probably I was in like, probably like 12 or 13 or something like that. And there was some mild bullying. And What did they say? Oh, they would just get mad about anything. I don't know. I feel like, um, you know, when you're a kid, it's just. Like, the stupidest things, yeah. Like your eyebrows look weird. And you're yeah, like, oh, my exactly. eyebrows. So it was just like I don't, I said, I don't remember. But just that's funny, you know. But I'm like, you know, at least back then, it's not like you were checking your email every day or whatever. It was just like we had an email for like a school project or something. But uh, but yeah, so it was like it was okay. Um, and then we decided to move back because my my mom wanted to be somewhere that was better for um, for me because. Uh, this community was very close to Ontario and so the high school was in Ontario and there were no jobs or anything either so I was of the age to start going to high school um, but there was no jobs or opportunities I would have had to travel pretty far so and it was one of those things where everyone my age actually I started hanging out with the younger people because everyone my age was either doing drugs drinking or getting pregnant <laughs> so oh my God. yeah so it was like okay we need to do something about this because I, I can't keep hanging out with younger and younger people especially if I'm gonna start going to high school so right so yeah so that's when we decided to go back to Montreal and uh, that was I guess my preteen so we were back in Gadawage taking the school bus to Shadagi was pretty rough because again here I was who's this random ass white girl taking our, <laughs> taking our bus and you know it's just funny because um you know many native people look white too like uh and so it's always like it's more like who's this fucking outsider you know yeah. what I mean like they she we don't know her who, where she's from a lot of judgment before <clears throat> they get to know you yeah exactly so I used to avoid taking the bus and try to get my mom to drive me but she hated uh she hated giving rides <laughs> rightfully so like she probably wanted her alone time you know um, but yeah, so that, that was a bit rough, but luckily it was just maybe a couple months, uh, and then we found our apartment in Shadigi. So, so yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of like always being the new kid, always having to like, yeah, I know it's cause you're, it's like so many changes in, in yeah. very short amount of time. So you just make new friends and, and kind of make your place and then move again. So, I mean, I think the transition from Ebitsidi to Garawage and then Shadigi was, was probably one of the hardest because... You know, when you're, like, 11 to 
12, 13 is when you really create that bond with your friends and you kind of yeah. feel like you found your wolf pack. You're my bestie. Yeah, you know, you know they forever. They me this like going away party and it was like, it felt so emotional and like you kind of feel like that is your life, that it's always going to be your life, which mm-hmm. you know now it's not true, but at the time it was so heart-wrenching and like I had a boyfriend at the time and so yeah, so it was really rough and, and uh, because we were separating also actually from my sister's father at the time because he didn't want to come back to Montreal and that created no. like a, a rough uh, patch for them. Uh, my sisters had to uh, stay with him so there and then there became like a custody thing at the same time so oh gosh. we were like so you went through this a second time <clears throat> yeah exactly Damn, <laughs> yeah so so it was pretty like rough um and then um and then yeah the rest of my high school at least was uh from grade eight until graduation was in Shadgi. so at least i was able somewhat to, stability a little yeah bit, a, little a little bit that was probably the longest bout of stability i had <laughs> Um, but you know, it took me a while to, to make some friends. I was again, the new kid. Cause everyone on there generally grew up in the same they all primary school. Other. They knew each other. They all went to high school together or they knew each other through sports and different things. So they were just like, again, who's this new person? Oh my God. So I was always, uh, you know, I was like the quiet person who would study the situation and then decide, you know, who I wanted to be or what I wanted to show and slowly integrate my way. In. Yeah. Since you moved so much and you you were always a new girl, always all the time in so many such a like important years of your childhood, which is your mm-hmm. teenage years. How did you figure out like this is who I am? Did you have a hard time to be like, oh, who I am as a person? This is who I am. No, this is who I am. Because well, you're meeting so many different people in so many walks of life, especially from the reserve yeah. and Shadagay. How do you figure out who you are? Well, I don't think I did know, and that's why I was always quiet. I would observe and then I would slowly show myself because I didn't know. So it wasn't like I was showing up and I'm like, hey, I'm the skater girl. Like, I'm just going to do my thing or, hey, I'm sporty spice or whatever. (laughs) Like, you know, so I didn't have anything to really fall back on where I felt secure. Um, So, yeah, so I don't think I did know. And I don't think I don't even know if I know now. Like, who am I? I'm just like always changing, evolving. And there's no like one identity, you know, but I feel like when you're in high school, um, what's more important for you is not to be shamed or or people to, you know, think badly of you. So you're just trying to, like, be very surface and just show, like, what's acceptable. You know what I mean? So Did you yeah. ever feel the need to – I feel like for me, I always had this problem where, like – I was always like, oh, that Asian girl, the Vietnamese girl. And I always wanted to be normal. I wanted to be mm. like, I just want to be like everyone else. Yeah. But I wasn't. Like, I came to school with my, like, freaking noodle soup. And it smelled like fish. And I had fish and rice. And, like, people were like, what is that? I'm yeah. like, oh, God. I'll, I'd rather have your PB&J, you know? Like, mm. I want to be normal, too. And did you have that problem of wanting to fit in and be <clears> that, quote-unquote, normal Canadian? I don't even know what Canadian Yeah, well, kids are, I had, but... like, I, I did. I was annoyed if I was being the new girl. And I felt like a little bit, I, I've always felt this thing where I felt like boys thought I was cute and girls were like, who the hell's the new girl? <laughs> and and it, it's a subtle energy, right? Because nobody would say anything, but I would get this eye contact with boys and I would get this like this side, side eye. eye from the yeah, girls. Yeah, side know? eye. So, so yeah. So Those I was just, so sassy. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> So I was always like kind of uh, had that in the back of my head. Um, but yeah, I was more tired of being the, the new girl. And because like I'm visibly white, I never felt that. Um, 
I know my sisters felt that more because they're actually full native. So I remember them growing up and saying things like, um, or like my sister has curly hair. She would always say, I wish my hair was straight like you, or I wish my skin was white like you. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're breaking my heart. So luckily I, I, I didn't have to go through that, but I did always have this whole like new girl thing and, and, you know, trying to be accepted is like pretty important when you're in high school. So yeah. I think everyone just wants to be accepted. Everyone wants to be seen. Everyone wants to be yeah. heard. It's mm-hmm. so, I think that when you go through like teenage life, it's like you're trying to find your tribe. Mm-hmm. And you, I feel like you only find that when you're in your 20s. Of, yeah, like this totally. is my friends and you kind of wean out the people that you're like your negative energy. Yeah, Did so- you have a hard time finding a group of friends and weaning out toxic people? I feel like for mm-hmm. me, I kind of have this thing where I grew up with my dad who was super toxic. And my mom always had like toxic relationships. I love crazy people. I don't know oh, what really? it is. I, felt, I love crazy people. Okay. I, I love like that. Um, I'm attracted to like toxic environments. So mm-hmm. I have to be very careful. Like, thankfully, my best friend is not like that at all. But do you have yeah. that problem? Well, in a way, yeah. Like, I'd say like I'm uh, easily attracted to broken people. Yeah. Like, not dramatic because maybe because we left my dad when I was quite young. Like, I drama is like stresses me out. But people who have like, deep interesting weird backgrounds and like a lot of deep feels you know so like in general it was funny like growing up in high school we would say oh isn't it funny that all of our friends like their parents are separated or all of our friends had like you know certain things in common so I would often relate to those people more like one of my first best friends in high school was um was actually Bengali and uh her parents were first generation here and so she had this huge like identity crisis and all these things and and so me right now yeah I feel that (laughs) so so she was you know and I've always been a very good uh ear you know so ear slash shoulder for people so I've always been I found my place by being a listener for people so I was attracted to people I guess who needed to be heard and I would help them feel normal about whatever it is they're going through you know because maybe seemingly on the outside I seem pretty chill but I do have like you know baggage right so I would always just be like yeah girl me too or like yeah like you know da 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 so I think that was kind of how I found found my position in relationships yeah and did you do you have a hard time because you're such a type of person who loves to listen do you ever have times where like you want to be heard too do you have a hard time talking about things and hard things that's going through your life with your friends or you're super yeah open. no I don't <laughs> I forget I forget I'm always like a, a you first type person uh, I think you know I think what makes us good in a career is actually like the trauma we had made us a certain person that makes us good at at what we do or why we do what mm-hmm. we do right I've never met a hairdresser who hasn't had drama exactly like, or trauma <laughs> like every single hairdresser I've met all my friends is yeah. always something that they had in their life where mm-hmm. we could all relate it's crazy yeah well there's something about wanting to make other people feel good um because when you think about it it's almost impossible like other people choose whether they feel good or not but we we create some kind of magic that enables them to feel good so it's a uh, there's something about it that you wish you had the power to make people feel better, you know, I think when you're younger. <laughs> oh, yeah. But um, now I forget the question. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I often forget to talk about me first. Uh, I'm getting better at it now, maybe in the past couple of years, trying to remember that I need to take place, too. <laughs> yes. Um, self-love, self-care. Yeah, but so it's important. not it's not my, my instinct. It's not my first uh, call of action, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, 
going back at before what we were talking about before was your your dad was an addict and you grew up in in a time where a lot of your friends that you had to make new friends because a lot of them were drinking mm-hmm. and stuff like that how come you were never influenced to do the same because mm-hmm. you saw that as a kid right yeah i feel like a lot of times i from what i've seen it's either when you grow up in an environment where you have addicts or alcoholics mm-hmm. they are they're like are the exact same or the exact opposite mm-hmm. what made you become the exact opposite uh, probably my mom i feel like she did a bit of brainwashing with me when I was young. And so <laughs> she she would, do it. <laughs> yeah, well, she would always say, what would she say? So, I mean, because often when we're young, we drink to have fun. We're bored, right? So she would always say, like, oh, like, you don't need to drink to have fun. You know, or, like, she would say, like, little things like that. So I used to repeat that all the time to, to kids or people saying, like, let's drink or whatever. I'm like, oh, I don't need to drink to have fun. But but to be honest, I wasn't ready. I feel like emotionally and, and in those... um you know, those milestones of like your first joint, your first alcohol, I was always later. Um, and I think part of it was maybe I didn't trust myself, I was scared that I would be like my dad, or that I wouldn't have a sense of control, or I was scared that my mom would be maybe disappointed. Because um, in a way, right, it's like, I feel she made that decision because of me to get me out of that to like, hope for a better future for me. So I felt like some kind of like pressure, maybe, or, or just some sort of image I had to uphold. So in general, I tried to avoid it. I only, I think I first started drinking when I was in um, maybe grade nine or something like that. But I did grade nine one year later. I had to repeat grade eight because what when age I, is that? Is that like four, 15? <clears throat> it's like this it's secondary two, uh, but I had to, or three, I don't even know anymore. Because the when I was in Abitsubi, it went to grade eight, but it was Ontario school because anyways long story but when I came here they were like oh you should redo it because it's a different um curriculum so I redid it it was legit the same I knew everything (laughs) so I developed all my bad study habits that year because I didn't (laughs) need to study uh and then that following summer is probably when I I started but most people in Shadi were drinking from uh like primary school the end of primary school yeah or beginning of of high school grade seven so so I was like on the late late bloomer <laughs> oh same i was late bloomer too i think i had my first drink when i was like 16 mm-hmm. i only had like my first joint when i was like 20 yeah <laughs> yeah i was so like i was same too because i was like i was so terrified that i was so scared because i my dad was in my left till i was like 13 okay so it was like partially in my preteen years so yeah. i was like so scared like oh what if i exactly like him mm-hmm. and like i i kind of in a lot of ways look like him as well okay. so you, you get like terrified you're like if, yeah. I, if I look like him I'm gonna be like him yeah you're like his DNA must be all over <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know when you're when your parents had split did your mom have a hard time because in that time it was such a traumatic time for her too right mm-hmm. it's, it was an abusive relationship a little bit yeah and that toxic and raising you who looks like your dad a little bit mm-hmm. did she have a hard time with that or she didn't care she uh, still loved not you not at all I'm almost huh? a spitting image of my mom I do have a little bit of him but um but no, she was always very respectful, and and I think um, her also being raised on the reserve addiction. Her dad was an addict, actually, so I think she always saw it a little bit for what it was. It's just it's a disease. Yeah, you know, it's, it's such it's, a disease. It's a it's a disease in the sense that um, you know people use substances when they don't know how to deal with their feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like a disease you catch, and so I feel like I wasn't fearful of that. But I was fearful that it would take over me or something. Because like, growing up, you don't quite get it until you've had a drink or, or whatever. But 
Um, I think I was always fearful that, like, oh, if I have that first sip, you know, like, gateway drug or whatever. <laughs> <Gateway>. like, <laughs> alcohol. You know? So but, how was your first yeah. experience of alcohol then? <laughs> was um, it like, oh, this is a, such amazing? No, it was just fun. You know how it is. You're so young. I think it was, like, for the school dance. And, like, we had, like, a Mickey before. And we were just, like, you're just laughing and giggly. And you're dizzy, kind of, you know. So, so no, it was, it was a generally fun experience. I, like, talked to my crush and, like, we're just like laughing. It's like so fun and so stupid and like juvenile, but it was great. No, it was really good. Like, thankfully, it was a good experience. I, that's it's important to have your first drink to be a good experience. I feel like if it's not, mm-hmm. it can go either way of like, yeah, yeah, you for overdo sure. it or you're like, never again. Yeah, you no, know? it's true. Yeah, luckily, like, I was with like a girl crew that we were all like in the same vibe. And so it was just like a good, uh, a good fun time. Yeah. So I didn't have like fear after that. <laughs> yeah. So if you look, if you were to look back at, at your life, what would be one of your top three most positive things that happened in your life? Mm. Like your favorite memories that you're like, oh my god, I remember <laughs> that. Like this is amazing. Okay. So not necessarily that. Like it's, it's I'm happy because it made me where I'm now or anything. Just like a happy. Yeah. Memory. Just what? Okay. What's what's the happy memory that you had that you, um, you look back on and you couldn't? That's such an interesting question. I've actually never thought about that in such an open context like that. Um. Well, I have one existing memory from my dad in BC, and that was like him uh, bringing before bringing me to daycare we would stop at Tim Hortons and he would get me a chocolate milk and a chocolate sprinkled donut <laughs> yes donut <laughs> honestly food just wins wins I everyone know, <laughs> all the time so that was like one of my favorite memories because it's really like our moment and uh, we were both early birds my mom liked to sleep in so my dad would always be like I think I slept in their room we had like a one and a half it's like tiny and uh, so I would wake up and he would be like waiting for me to wake up and like really excited like let's go get chocolate and I'm like yes so that's like one of my earliest um first memories that like I cherish um actually another one would probably be then again in BC uh with my dad and my mom and they were trying to teach me how to ride a bike uh, without the training wheels yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he kept trying to uh, hold the back and I kept saying stop I'm gonna do it on my own <laughs> <laughs> you're like I got this down. yeah and it's like it's just so defining in my personality because I'm very much like I'm just gonna do it on my own like fuck off you know stubborn too you're like yeah, I got this like, you don't... <laughs> like, I don't need your help like I was like probably like I was like four max you know <laughs> like I don't know so that and um I don't know. I'm trying to think like more in my older, my older years, like, like a defining happy kind of memory. Like, wow, I don't know. Nothing like, uh, it's hard. eh? I know. I think one of the fighting moments for me was that when I was younger, almost every other summer I went to Vietnam for like three, four months. Cause my mom, she couldn't, she like didn't want us to go to camp. I don't think she knew what camp was, to be honest with you. Okay. Like, I've never been to camp before. Yeah. And we'd go there. I'd be with my grandma and my family. And I just remember it being, like, days. Because in Vietnam, um, there's every day, there's certain districts that they just no electricity. Okay. The whole day. You won't, you won't have electricity. Okay. You may have it tomorrow. You may not. Okay. But everyone know. knows, like, okay, today's our district. Like, it's okay. chill. And I remember all of us, like... There was no electricity. It was scorching hot. We're sweating. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, like, my whole shirt was wet. My pants was wet. Like, I was just, 
bathing in my own sweat and we were um we went on our motorcycle to a cafe by the water uh-huh. and it was just drinking coffee even though i was like ten, nine or yeah. ten years old like i shouldn't have been drinking yeah. coffee it was like a little cute little breeze on a cafe uh-huh. by the by the river it was such a nice experience oh, it was just like so relaxing yeah and you're like yes please blow away all the sweat <laughs> i don't want this <laughs> oh my god that's funny okay that does remind me of one thing i remember when we came back to my grandma's I was, um, I have a memory being on the porch with my grandma during like a crazy storm and it was just like this crazy moment of calm where we were just like enjoying the storm and we were just like, like we didn't really say anything, but you know, and you just have that like connection of like, this is, this is life. This is beautiful. (laughs) You know, that was like a really nice, weird, but good moment. It was just, yeah. Sometimes it's like the simple things that you're like, holy crap, this is so nice to have a simple, quiet time. Yeah. Like life is so crazy mm-hmm. that you never really, yeah. I feel like you never really have that. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so are you single, taken? I'm engaged, taken. Um, yes, congrats. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. Yeah. How'd you so. get engaged? Tell me the story. How? Um, well, to be honest, like we were talking about it for a while. I've been with my boyfriend since. I still call him boyfriend. I don't like the word fiance. <laughs> um, <laughs> since like about when I started my salon actually in 2011. So uh, we've been talking about it for a while. It's been maybe three years, I think, um, that we're engaged. And uh, we were just like, yeah, I think like that's what we want to do, whatever. And uh, so we actually got a ring made together. So um, Oh my I, God. Yeah, that is so cute. <laughs> so that's I so different as well. Mm-hmm. That's I was really ring. looking for for something different, but not too try hard different, like classic but different. Um, and so we got it made together, so it wasn't like a huge surprise. But he was still gonna ask me as a surprise, you know. Uh, so he did it while I was doing my best friend's hair at the, the salon. Like I was staying after hours to do her hair, and he came in with his mom, my mom. Uh, my sisters, like, you know, all our close family. And then, like, I was like, what is going on? And I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> and then we were, like, he was, like, so nervous. And then I was, like, like, oh my God. like giddy and, like, not Did sure what cry? to say. I would totally cry. I probably cried. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, it's also a blur because you're just like, what's going on? And then you're like, oh, yeah, I know. I know what's going on. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. So, yeah, that's how that happened. Um, How'd you guys meet? We met through kind of like a mutual friend at the moment uh, in 2011, and it uh, it wasn't like love at first sight at all. It was just like, hey, hey, whatever. Like, I wasn't really in the mood to get to know people. My <laughs> friend kind of forced me to go to this person's house, and I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, but it just kept happening that I kept seeing him throughout that summer, like at different events and parties, and then at some point he invited me to a party, and he was super nice, and... Like, contrary to most men, he, he didn't feel like he was trying to hit on me or trying to be like, let's go on a date. Like, he was really not aggressive. He was just like, hey, stop. Like, friends. So chill. Super chill. Yeah. And that was, like, so refreshing um, because I'm typically not friends with guys at all. So I was just like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'd actually be his friend, <laughs> you know? Um, so, and I was just at a, like, coming out of a breakup uh, that summer. So, I was like, oh, cool, wow, there's maybe hope. Like, maybe some guys are actually just nice, you know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we just kept seeing each other. And then at some point, I asked him for a favor because I was going to New York and I knew he knew a lot of people. So I was like, do you know anyone out there that can show me and my friend around? And um, he was like, yeah, I can hook you up with so-and-so. 
So just to be nice, I was like, oh, cool, we should hang out when I'm back, just to be nice, you know, because I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm using him. <laughs> um, and then he was like, yeah, for sure. Like, And then when I came back, I wrote to him, like, oh, it was great, thanks so much, whatever. And then he was like, yo, like, super casual. He's like, the planetarium is closing. Like, uh, this is when it was at the old location. He was like, I want to go. Like, let's uh, let's go. Like, I'll bring a friend. You bring a friend. Like, no big deal, you know? So, but turns out his friend bailed and then I brought a friend and um we ended up going and it was super chill and we had a good time and then next thing you know the following week he's like hey you want to go to a jazz show like want to go to this he just like always had ideas and my ex was the opposite so I was like wow this is fun he's fun. more spontaneous yeah too, more right? spontaneous so I was like wow this is awesome we always have fun and like cool ideas so he just like you know slowly but surely we kept hanging out and we just like had similar mind frames and like in our conversations and next thing you know like it took a while like we were probably like going on unofficial dates for maybe like three to five months before like something like we actually said like hey I think we like each other <laughs> um and then we had like a rough time in the beginning we weren't sure what to do because he's a bit older than me so he's about 11 years older than me actually so we were like, I don't know, like, should we date? Is it worth it? Like, are we at the same place? Like, is this going to cause issues? Um, and, like, I was also, like I said, coming out of a relationship from, you know, four or five months before I met him. So I was like, I don't know. And in the end, like, we had decided no. And then that night I just had so much anxiety. And I was like, why did I say no? Like, da-da-da, like, I need to take this you, Oh, you're thinking, like, yeah. laying, laying in like, bed, like, no, I yeah, should have. Exactly. And then I was, like, freaking out. And then I was like, I need to text him tomorrow morning. Like, and it was, like, this huge thing. And I was like, you know what? I think we should just try. And, like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, like, like if we have a good thing, like, we shouldn't pretend we're better than that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so... So yeah, so I was like, as long as you didn't want to have kids right now, that like, you know, it's fine. And he's like, no, I have no, like, he's like, I'd love what kids one day, but I'm not like stressed. You guys have one though, right? But we do now. Yeah. (laughs) So so we do have one now. So when we got engaged, we were like, okay, what next? Do we get married? You know, and then we're looking into that. We're super excited, but it's fucking expensive. It's so expensive. And then we realized like, why are we doing this? Both of our our families are chill. Like they don't care if we're married or not as long as we're Mm -hmm. happy, you know? And committed so we were like you know what like we want to have a kid we want to buy a condo we want to do all this shit like do you really need a wedding to start that off and is it worth investing in a wedding before getting to those steps because so, all those steps were expensive all of them are expensive exactly. house so we were just kid <laughs> <exactly>. wedding <clears throat> so we were just uh yeah and then we just kind of came to the conclusion like you know what like nothing's more serious than a kid so <laughs> we were just like let's do that <laughs> so and then my boyfriend liked the idea of, of having our daughter at our wedding so we were like yeah we'll just get married like uh, old, later you know and I like the idea of possibly getting married when it's you know like our 10 year anniversary or something I like love that, that. You know? I think that's so yeah. cute that's exactly <laughs> what my boyfriend and I would want to yeah so. somewhere along the line where like other people little people that yeah. you've made can be in in it too yeah, you know it's fun so so yeah so so that's that <laughs> And how is it like, you know, with, I find it so hard too, when you, when you raise a little child and you guys grew up in such different ways Mm -hmm. and you're parenting together, Mm -hmm. do you find that is really hard or you find it's 
actually not too bad. You guys are really good at seeing eye to eye on things. I mean, we're very different in the way, like, in our instinctual, like, parenting methods. Uh, Luckily, he's very, like, okay, like, he'll kind of take my lead, like, or let me have the lead on a lot of, like, ways of doing things. But he's, like, a bit more, um, what could I say, like, raised in... I don't want to say fear as in like scared of the world, but like, oh, careful that corner or careful or like, you know, little things like mm-hmm, that. Whereas yeah. I'm more like, go, be free, get hurt, you'll live. <laughs> like, you know, like. You that. hit your head, it's chill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very much like uh, more open in that sense. And, and probably because, you know, my parents had so much going on, they couldn't worry about me possibly hitting my head on the corner of the table, you know. But his parents were together. They still are. They're amazing people. They're so generous. They're. They're great. They made him such a great, like, only child. You know, like, everything you think only children are, he's the opposite. Like, he oh, yeah? broke what I thought about only children. Uh, in my head, I'm like, only child, like, selfish. Yeah, like, but you know, he's exactly the opposite. Like, <laughs> he made me change my mind about possibly having just one kid. So, so yeah, so, you know, it's probably something to do with that. So, <clears throat> in that sense, like, I'm much more, like, daring. I'm much more, like, letting her, you know, discover herself and stuff. And he can be a bit more traditional in those senses. Um and I'm a little bit more, like, avant-garde in, in parenting, like, always researching and looking at what's, like, the new thing. What are people doing? What's the new, you know, way of, like... There's so many new things all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I hear things from my clients. I'm like, I'm tired for you, man. Yeah. Why are there so many new things? I it's know, crazy. It's always something new. So, I mean, we never, like, specifically, like, butt heads, like, all the time. But we definitely have two different, like, ways of approaching things. And we try to... Um, you know, come to either a mutual conclusion or see why both people are doing that and then just kind of either let it go or try to correct it. Um, We actually started doing recently like a monthly meeting so that we could talk about all those things. I love that. Yeah. Because if not, it's not going to happen. No, I guess you run a full salon. Yeah, he has a business too. So so, what does he do? uh, So he's in marketing. He does... um, just flyering, uh, graphic design, websites, uh, yeah. posters. This like the, works so well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so, but he's he's been he's had a business like way longer than me. So he's got like you know like twenty or something employees, and so God damn. we're both like up to here, you know. So at the end of the day, it's not always you're not always in the best energy to talk about things, and. As you know, probably just in relationships in general, talking about things in the heat of the moment is never a good idea. No, because you say stupid shit. Yeah. I mean, I already it, say stupid shit when I'm not hot, and then when I am, it's just like, yeah, I don't even know. exactly. So we were like, you know what? Like, and it dawned on me because I have, like, monthly meetings with my employees, I was like, I love why that. do I do that with my employees, but not even my own boyfriend? <laughs> and I was like, that's fucked up. So then I came home one day and I was like, you know what? Like, we should have monthly meetings of like, you know, about serious shit like that we'd ever get around to talking about. And he was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, so yeah, we just started that maybe two, three months ago. But I think that's yeah. so smart. I think yeah. the one thing my boyfriend and I do all the time is that every couple months we like sit down and we talk about like our goals. Oh, that's like we, cool. we always talk about like our personal goals yeah our like relationship goal and then our career goals that's like we're super goal driven because if I don't have a goal I'm just gonna sit around and do nothing like I have that's that's (laughs) the problem with me I'm like zero to a hundred I need to have one or if I'm just gonna be Netflixing binge watching all day it's not gonna work you know that's nice and it's good to let the other person know because they can help support you or 
know why you're obsessing about whatever little yeah thing just so they understand that you're like <clears throat> i'm crazy before reason <laughs> yeah exactly you're like it's not just you and <laughs> yeah. uh, because you guys met when you had just started your open your salon yeah yeah and uh, do you find that it was hard you know juggling your new salon business and then a relationship on top of it as well or the fact that he was just super chill that it was like I mean like all good. not really because it was just in my house you know so it was right that's so true house, right? so <laughs> I was just like yeah I'm just gonna try this thing and and he was like super supportive um and he was like yeah whatever like yeah he was like he was very entrepreneurial so he's like whatever like and it was like super it was supportive. such a low risk because it was like look if it doesn't work out I'll just go work at the salon across the street or whatever yeah if it does then cool so um so yeah so it was it was really really uh no it was really chill and he's him being entrepreneurial like he always had great advice and was super helpful and just like yeah no so it was uh it was good I think it's as like as we got older and then when we moved together so when I moved into the loft is when we moved together um sorry to get more complex because you know I'd never lived with a boyfriend before it's hard it's hard and we had a roommate at the time which I did not want but it was just yeah stop you guys like together with a roommate yeah because he had a roommate from before and then when I moved in it was kind of like I can't afford two rents like because I was moving into that loft for the Mm -hmm. salon and I was like so <laughs> what do you think and, then, uh, and I was kind of like you know we should also we were kind of there in the relationship too but I think he was like too um attached to his boy pad you know so he was the like bachelor pad. yeah so he was just like oh this place is great then and I was like I fucking hate this place but like I have I can't be choosy I have no budget like I have such a low budget right so I was just like okay whatever we'll figure it out so you know there was some struggles there but and then when we moved into the new place too there was some struggles because in general I don't like asking for help <laughs> so you're so you're very independent <laughs> very that must independent, be hard yeah. for you because yeah. when you run a salon you're really independent you drive yourself crazy yeah well I've, I've gotten better I've gotten better but but there's certain things that I, I had trouble asking for help and then it would just like kind of fall on him <laughs> and then he's like what the hell <laughs> why did you just ask me I was like well I thought you knew you're gonna help he's like yeah but you never specifically asked I'm like yeah, but you knew. <laughs> so, yeah. You're supposed to know. Yeah, exactly. So I got better with time. <laughs> and since you're independent with and mm-hmm. running a salon, mm-hmm. are you is it easier for you now to delegate since it's been so long, or you just kind of do most things by yourself at the salon mm-hmm. now? No, it's pretty. I'm pretty good with delegating. Um, the hardest part is that it's a small team. It's a small salon. I don't always have someone to delegate to, like a specific person. Um, usually falls on whoever the junior is or assistant who like has the most kind of flexible schedule but I've found that um, most people especially creative hairdressers have a hard time focusing on too many things at once so they can't prioritize and that drives me nuts (laughs) so I realized that I have to get um, more specific in my hiring when it comes to what exactly I'm looking from people so Mm -hmm. usually I hire people based on my feeling of how they're going to work with the team. Do they share same values? like Culture, to, too. Culture, exactly, yeah. stuff like that. But then I forget, or sometimes I I forget that there is a purpose for them, right? <laughs> so they have to be good at something. So, um, so, so I'm getting better at understanding that. So I definitely know for my next hire to, to make sure they're good at multitasking and, and um, taking on different 
different things and prioritizing and just like people who because I'm like a hustler at heart that I feel I forget that people aren't <laughs> you know it blows my mind that I'm just like oh so you're just gonna sit around and do nothing okay yeah like, exactly. you don't you don't what yeah so so and you know we you need all kinds of people right because if we we're all hustlers we'd all have businesses and we'd have no employees <laughs> so it's so but, true but yeah and not so, everyone's made to be an owner like it's not for no, everyone it's exactly. really hard it's really hard it's, it's so much work. there's so much burden on you like <laughs> yeah so. I started renting my chair about a year ago but I just wanted to do it just to like uh, have more freedom so I could do my photo shoots I could have mm-hmm. like more contracts and all that stuff and I wanted to see like oh do I want to own a salon mm-hmm. then I realized no <laughs> you're like nah I'm good it's too much work I'm it's just like so much work well I, at the end hard. of the day if you're gonna run a salon you actually can't be behind the chair like yeah or at least not as much or not at all so, I noticed that yeah so I just coming back from maternity I, I decided to come back just four days um and that's been great because my fifth day I use as like an administrative like get shit done day but to be honest I feel like I could I could use another one you know there's just so much to do and and now that we have more employees it's like there's more work you know you have to got to make sure there's enough clients to fill their their chair and their schedules and it's a lot of juggling yeah so it's, a, it's, a, lot a, it's juggling. a lot of juggling but I I do see that my future is going there that's what I want down the line so so even more so I'm like okay I gotta get shit done but so now I'm I'm getting more specific about who I need on my team what kind of people they need to be and stuff like that and when you first started because you started from like your apartment and you kind of snowballed to have a salon Mm -hmm. now did you have a hard time figuring out like what you wanted your culture to be or you always knew from the beginning this is what I want my salon to be you had that vision from the get-go or you kind of went as you I went, yeah. I went as I, as I snowballed, I guess. And at the, at the end of the day, what drove me to have a salon was that I couldn't find one that I wanted to be a part of. So I couldn't find one that I wanted to be a part of. And so I was like, well, I just want to create a salon where I would want to work, <laughs> you know? Um, and for me, um, okay. Yeah, so I just wanted to find somewhere that I would want to work. And at the end of the day, what I found was missing aside from social media and like a young outlook on beauty was a place where um, like every stylist individual needs could be taken into account. Um, <clears throat> kind of like what makes each stylist special, what they like doing, don't like doing, and how it could be taken to an advantage. So example, I like to do photo shoots um, when I first started doing hair in the city and I found that the salons were so like un didn't give a fuck about that and I was Mm-mm. like that's not nice like I think and- it's because most um pe the older generation I feel like they think that it's a waste of time because doing it for free a lot of yeah, times right exactly or or they're just like like I think when the salon that I left right before doing my own I said when I think one of the like maybe a week before I decided to quit was like oh I wish I cared about that. Like, that's literally was a response when I said I did a photo shoot. I was like, stop. That's such a savage response. (laughs) I wish I cared. Yeah. So I I just wanted somewhere that people could be treated like humans and not just an employee that's in the clock in and clock out. Um, And just like someone who could be heard, understood, like just human at the base, you know, and not like not shamed or not weirded out, like. Like, it's okay if you don't want to do photo shoots. It's cool if you do. Like, it's like, you know, like, just... No pressure. Yeah. What is it that you want? open-minded. So, so, yeah. And then as I, you know, snowballed, I guess we'll say, um, meeting each employee or people along the way, 
I kind of learned more and more, I guess, what I wanted and how I wanted to support people. And I really wanted to just be in like a leadership position where I could help people discover like their best self and how they can be better stylists behind the chair and what's yeah. holding them back. I love that. I love that you love to uplift and... other stylists. I think that's yeah. so important. Well, I think it's it's the future slash it's now. Like we've been waiting for this. It's just uh, typically hairstylists and the owners like they don't have the time right so over the past maybe it's two years or I've been doing the monthly meetings and stuff it's like what it does at the end of the day is it creates that loyalty with the salon where it's like okay I know my boss has my back so I'm gonna have her back so because if you take that time to listen because we are humans behind that chair and you can't deny that if you're having a shit day or your relationship's going down the drain that it's not going to affect you right Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of see where people are coming from, what are they struggling with, and you know where can they do better, or where is it affecting the rest of the team, or so you kind of have to be like a therapist, manager, HR department, <laughs> like, a little bit of a little bit of everything, yeah, a little bit of everything. But to me, it's proven to be the most beneficial, um, specifically because even if people leave or there's a reason for them to leave you know you did everything you could, you know? Like, it's not like, oh, I should have done this, or I wish I would have talked to her about that that time, or whatever. And it also makes me, calms my nerves, because I don't have to be in the back of my head, like, oh, fuck, am I annoying? Like, is people annoying by me? Like, you know? Because during our meeting, I'll literally say, like, is there anything I could do better? Is there anything I'm doing that's bothering you? Is there anything that I could do to support you, or whatever? And so the feedback goes two ways, and so I know then that, like, okay, I mean, at some point, if they're not telling me, that's also their thing. So at least I gave them the option, you know. (laughs) So it just helps everything feel like it's in place more. Did you have a hard time having, uh, finding your management style? Or you always knew from the beginning, like, this is kind of how I am as the owner Mm -hmm. and your style of managing all the employees? Because I feel like that is probably the reason why it turned me off of being an owner. Mm -hmm. Managing people is really, really hard. My boyfriend he's a supervisor of a data center and I see uh-huh. him doing it and I'm like, ooh. It's hard. It's um, like you're, you're a mom hen. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a fetus. I'm not ready for that mom hen yeah. position, you yeah. know? I think cause I've always been a mom hen. Yeah. For, like, so long because of how I was raised, knowing so much and just being so like responsible and understanding and whatever. Um, but it just came naturally. I think since I'm always a good listener and I can easily connect things, right? So, I don't know, like, I could tell that she's doing that because of this or whatever. So, but it also sometimes bites you in the butt because you put up with too much because you know where they're coming from. So that's where I am now is where I'm learning, like, okay, it's also okay to ask of people, like, I understand X, Y, Z, but this is what I need from you. So it's kind of like... Setting expectations <clears throat> a bit. Yeah, so so it's like I'm, I'm evolving in my in my style, but I've it's always just felt been whatever feels true to me, so... I'm kind of like salon mom, you know what I mean? But I not that. in that nagging, annoying way. I'm like a new, new age cool mom. <laughs> You're a cool mom. I love it. <laughs> exactly. You know? so, so, yeah. So, it just kind of goes with the territory. You learn as you go along learn as you go along yeah. I love that that's what you do I love that you're you're willing to sit and listen to your employees and be like mm-hmm. okay what can I do for you what you can do for me <clears throat> that's such a cool style of owning a salon the uh I think one of my questions is um being an owner right mm-hmm. and owning a salon and having your employees and everything what do you do when you when a lot of people butt heads and you butt head with your employees and having to 
you know, if there's drama in a salon, how do you kind of deal with that? Mm-hmm. Do you have a hard time of like <sighs> squashing it? I've been way? getting better with yeah? it. It's hard. Um, I think. I feel like it's inevitable for a salon to it not have. It is inevitable because have... when you get to a certain amount of people, you're always going to have. It's like. Like there's always, yeah, there's always at least one person that always has a problem with everything. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that too. Um, I think. You know, always have food that's how everyone wit like, like i swear <laughs> right? to god you're like cupcakes for everyone yeah. um i think yeah you, you figure it out as you go along there's a lot of times like i mean things things like that make me anxious confrontation is hard but i'm getting better at it i do a lot of like you know self-help healing and self-work and and understanding how to communicate better which is like a good thing because you know, there's emotion, there's facts, and then there's how do you connect the two to get the result you want. Because if you get too emotional, like I said, you forget to talk about what needs to actually be done. If you get too facty, then you don't reel the people in to care about what you need them to do. So there has to be some sort of connection between the two. So I'm getting better at it. I'm still not great. But I think because I'm also the older one in the salon. I tend to hire people younger than me. Although I do have one employee now who's older. But I think that, you know, when you, you hire people that you resemble or that are kind of like you, they kind of understand your style better. Um, I would probably have a hard time. And maybe that's why I only have girl employees so far. <laughs> it wasn't a specific choice, but it just happened that way because I feel like I can manage women better than men. I, I didn't grow up with men so much, so... But uh, yeah, it, it, it takes a long time and it's hard and you have to do a lot of research and a lot of, a lot, it's a lot about communication research and just finding little ways to make things better because or else, yeah, you just get super anxious and you're like, how do I fucking deal with this? And day to day go by and you just want to chop the person's head off, <laughs> throw, throw them out the window. You're like, <laughs> you're like if, if I could just get you out of here, it'd be easier, but that's not the truth, you know? So, so yeah, so, you know, trial and error, talking. And just yeah. trying to figure it out. Just trying. Yeah. Just trying. I'm a trier. I'm a trier. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how, like, you kind of, you, you grow up a certain way. And mm-hmm. so that's what you know. It kind of affects your environment. Like you said, mm-hmm. you didn't really grow up with that father figure. So a lot of men in your life. So your yeah. salon that you're around is mostly women. Yeah. Did you have a hard time, the fact that you didn't grow up with a father figure? Or to you, it didn't matter too much because it, of it how It did affect me. Yeah. Like, mostly because I never trusted men. Same. <laughs> yeah, Same. like, I never trusted men. That's why I was never friends with guys. Because I was like, you don't want to be my friend. Like, why would you want to be you my friend? You want something more. Yeah, exactly. And it made me uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. I always felt like there was something more. And I always felt just weirded out by their energy. Because I wasn't around any sort of like you know very like stoic male energy like it was always like creepy yeah you know it was weird so I I never yeah I definitely like don't feel like I mean now it's fine like and I have guy clients and stuff and I think also since having male clients and actually talking to them and whatever it makes you understand that like we're all the same yeah but um but yeah like I guess it affected me that I didn't trust guys I would never like be my true self I always thought there was like an ulterior motive. You had a wall. I was very, up, yeah, right? always a wall. I probably, I still have a wall. Like you know, I'm still like scratching at it. You know, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So definitely, and like that's it. I'm not even close to hiring a guy, but it just has to be a certain kind of guy, which hasn't come around yet. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. I think it's hard to find like when you're so used to a certain way and you grew up a certain way, um, and you. 
like I have a I have a huge problem with men. I don't trust men at all. And like when I started out, I was like, like you too, right? We were really young. Mm-hmm. Did you have a hard time doing men's haircuts? I had yeah, a hard time. Oh my god, I was like sweating, nervous. Oh, sweat. Yeah. Like I don't even sweat that much, yeah. and I just patch. Yeah. And I'm just like dripping, and I'm like I don't know what yeah, to talk about. It was like about. I was like acting as if I had a crush when I didn't. Like you know, like your body's just like so stressed. And you're like, but why am I feeling like this? I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was just like a little scared yeah. on the inside. It's but you like, feel vulnerable. You're almost, because I feel too, there's like this, especially when men go to salons. I, my first salon was in a mall, you know, and in La Salle. And I always had this vibe that like guys go to salons because hairdressers are cute. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because so, yeah. they're like, attracted to their hairdresser. Yeah. So, so there was that too. Like I always felt this pressure, like they're staring at me and like. I have and to like, like act a certain way and yeah, look a certain way, right? Exactly. So there was that kind of weird pressure too, because it's not like I was ever working in like a barber shop or something like that. So there was that, and um, yeah, no, never, never liked it. But now I, I really couldn't care less. Like it's, it's just another client, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but how, how did you, um, how did you get used to male clientele in your chair? How did you get comfortable, and how did you get comfortable being yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, did it take a long time? took a while but working in a mall like you're just forced to work fast so it's like one person at the other right yeah this was like depth before social media too or even like online reviews or anything so it was just like people in the mall want the haircut they're bored they don't have to do your available like just do it so you just learn to like whatever like it is what it is and like luckily it's not like anything inappropriate ever happened or nobody said anything so it was just it was what it was like I just I don't know I probably took like maybe a couple months and then I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Nobody cares, you know? It's all in my head. And you get more comfortable with your cut too because I think the hardest part of cutting a guy's hair when you're not comfortable with guys Horns. is... Well, that, like looking at them in the mirror because yeah. you actually have to look at them and look at them the silhouette of the hair mm-hmm. and then you're like oh my god they're looking at me like I'm looking at their hair I don't want them to look at me like you kind of want to be like look over there like I'm just looking here so so I found because eye contact is the hardest thing when you're like nervous shy scared and and you're like a junior you don't really know 100% what you're doing so it's just like that was like the hard the uh, I think what made it the most awkward for me so yeah. <laughs> eye contact you're like oh yeah. you just keep really like oh, this is this God, is very no. intense i'm just trying to cut very your hair intense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. and did you have a hard time you know like because you started out young as well um creating boundaries um mm-hmm. with your clients and wet male women like male and female mm-hmm. and non-binary uh, like regarding regarding what like, just in general in like general, boundaries uh, yeah because um, i feel like a lot of like i have that problem too where uh just it you get because you get built such a relationship with your clients like i love my clientele so much right i feel like a lot of them are friends but i forget like no i'm their hairdresser like you're not you know what i mean yeah i guess like i mean in my beginning career no because i was like i said i was working in a mall it wasn't really my friends it was like you know i like i started doing hair when like emo became mainstream and everyone wanted the crazy layers so i was attracting a lot of those like kind of cool indie girls that like wanted that type of haircut but they weren't really emo but they were kind of preppy emo like you know so (laughs) (laughs) exactly so um so my clientele kind of just ended up being more like that and I, I wouldn't say that it was harder to break boundaries then because there was no social media so in that sense it's not like people wanted more of your time or more of your energy or more like 
that. I think the biggest thing was like in the salon, I guess, like where the discussion is going. But then again, like my clientele was so young because they resembled me. So it was rare, like they were more shy and reserved. But I think when I had started my own salon, it became a little bit different because you know, I'm in a position where I'm trying to grow a business. I don't really have specific hours. I just need clients anytime, all the time. Like, you know, so. Just trying to pay the rent. Yeah. So there was no boundaries at all. Um, But I don't think I got abused really. Like I, I set my boundaries when I moved to the loft, you know, I made a bit of more of a schedule. Um, And I think, I think that I've actually always had a pretty good, um, way with clients of keeping things professional like even if we get personal I don't I don't uh, how can I explain I don't instigate to get too deep to the point where it becomes like I don't know weird (laughs) so so yeah so no I've always I've I've never felt too crazy I think the hardest is is with social media you know people messaging you at any time at three in the morning yeah they're drunk questions (laughs) or like whatever so but I've gotten good with that and just saying like look I'd love to service you but I'll need you to come in for a a live consultation because I need to see I need to know more whatever um and um yeah but I think actually okay the first boundary that used to cross was actually family it's like family trying to get you to do their hair outside of the salon that was you you have to say no yeah so it's like I'm already working full-time girl I want to do your hair on the weekend you know oh my god so so that was probably the first uh the first thing but then you know they all stopped coming to me because I was like well look if you don't want to come to me I don't want to do your hair either you know so <clears throat> it it um, regulated itself pretty fast, but, <laughs> but that was the first one, yeah. And people thinking, you know, like, oh, it's just a haircut. I'll just give you uh, twenty no. bucks or whatever. You're like, mm, actually, no, this pays <clears throat> my bills. Like, it's, yeah, haircut is not just twenty bucks. Like, I pay a lot of money for my education. Yeah. And people thinking it's, uh, you know, it's fun, and so that you don't deserve a certain amount or whatever. Um, but you know, I feel like as you get older and you work with more people that feel the same way then you start to realize like your worth and what what you can can't do and you're like more comfortable with it but when you're straight out of school you're just like scared shitless you're like oh, i know like, like i'm gonna pee myself <laughs> yeah exactly you're like i'll do whatever you want i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did you have a hard time in the beginning and even now to to like charge what you're worth and knowing what your worth is and how did you figure out what your worth was mm, yeah that's hard um I mean, the first time I ran into that, like, big issue uh, was when I was doing photo shoots and I had my salon because it was like, okay, if I'm passing up a day in the salon where I can make X amount, I I better be making X amount at the photo shoot. And so that's what drew me away from doing photo shoots because it wasn't worth it anymore. And the salon started to be not just about me. I had my assistant. I was trying to grow her as a junior. So it started to be like, okay, one thing is not better than the other anymore Mm -hmm. and although it was fun I I felt like doing photo shoots people were taking advantage of my time there was no boundaries it was very much like oh it's gonna be a day or and like but what's a day eight hours 12 hours oh we'll see how it goes like what do you mean (laughs) like you know so Mm -hmm. and often I found too doing hair it was like I'm like okay how many models or how much this and like um people we're not thinking smart because they're not paying you. They're just like, oh, come for the full day. And I'm like, yo, I could do that in like an hour. And they're like, yeah, but touch-ups. And I'm like, depending on what it is, I was like, 
she's not gonna need touch up like you know like I don't need to be there eight hours or like yeah just like you know so like I get it if it's a very specific beauty shop but um but sometimes it wasn't and people were just so adamant about things and I'm like yeah but no so so I think the place I felt the most disrespected was actually in doing photo shoots and then when even then let's say you did do a really good job and people were happy they wouldn't even necessarily call you back. This was like in the the age of Facebook like status, like, hey, anyone know a hairdresser free tomorrow? And I'm just like, yeah, we did a post shoot last week. You said you fucking loved like my work. Like, why didn't you just message me? You know? Right. And I started to just feel like, you know what? Like, it's it's all about who's available last minute, who can do it now. And I was just like, I'm not about that. Like, I'm not. And and specifically because I was trying to build something. And and you knew you wanted to build. You knew <clears> what you wanted to build. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I wasn't trying to be an editorial stylist. Like, if that was what I wanted, that's just the way it is, you know? But I was like, you know what? No. So so that's the first time I, I guess I, I started to feel like, okay, I need to make boundaries and rules and, and how I'm going to do this. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's it's hard I think even now like reassessing prices and looking over things like being the owner now I'm seeing it in a different light so I'm like okay my value as a manager boss owner per hour versus doing hair behind the chair is like so different um and so I need to think about it that way but then I also need to think from the client's perspective like <clears throat> they're not trying to hire a marketer you know what I mean so it's like, <laughs> so it's like let's just say I was like if, yeah. if my hourly like estimated rate for a marketing business owner it's not the same as for a haircut so I need to keep that into account um and just like in the area like and thinking about like your competition the prices around and then what you have to offer it's like you're always you're always being measured by price right and of course of course you have your client base that like probably they don't care if it's like give or take five bucks but right but then you know when you're attracting new people or you know because like you just naturally people move or have whatever so you kind of always have to be aware that new people are coming so you always have to think and and you always have to be like okay yes I'm a smaller salon I'm on the second level like should I charge the same or less than people on the street but then at the same time like I do way more let's say like I do way more marketing and things that cost money because I'm not on the street Mm -hmm. so in a sense the value should be the same but what's the perceived value so it's like it's it's always a mind fuck trying to try to think about that and you know every year we, we reassess our prices every year you know there's a bit of an increase inflation whatever cost of products changes um it's just it's annoying to have to always think about it and think of like what will people think but I think now we're finally at a point where we do have a bit of brand recognition and people are happy and whatever and because we have like a multi-level system at the salon where everyone has different prices, mine being the most expensive. It's always like if they're not okay with it, they can go with my other stylists who are honestly like mostly just as great. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, but, it, but it is, it is hard because you don't want to push people away. You're worried at the same time, you know what you're worth at the same time when you're an artist, you're hard on yourself. Right. So you're like, okay, my ideal is like I would charge like $75 for a haircut and I would take like a good hour and 15 minutes and I would like style their hair and like do this crazy photo and like make everything and they'd have this crazy experience with like a massage and look like this and that and then you're like brought down to reality you're like okay wait but like will I actually do that like can, <laughs> can I actually have time mm-hmm. to do that realistically like, yeah realistically mm-hmm. like will I create a system where that's even possible because like what if I'm running late? What if this? Like, what is this? So, 
So it's so hard because like in an ideal world, you have your ideal self and then you have your reality self and then you have your like, oh, fuck, it's like this day's gone to shit, you know? So it's it's hard. Yeah, it's it's an ongoing thing. It's totally an ongoing. I totally feel that. I feel like (laughs) self-worth and value when it comes to charging a certain way, especially with clients and and, and changing your prices, it's so hard. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to figure out like what what you want and especially as an owner because you're trying to figure out your other people mm. too oh, i can yeah. see how crazy it is because i'm i because i rent my chair i think it's a bit easier in a sense that i know like what my overhead is because yeah. i'm one person but when it's a salon like i can't even imagine how that must I be know. like with all the different <clears throat> it's so specializations hard. and yeah. experiences right it's so hard because right now i just had hired like three new people over the summer and so there's all these things that you don't take into account until you're dealing with it you know like like the lost hours where there's no clients or like just all the little things like people, and we get that often right we yeah have no clients it happens yeah we're just like oops I mixed too much color but like oops I mixed too much color me versus me plus four other people it adds up right so, so much there's money. all these little things that I'm like oh didn't think about that but you know that's it you you have to learn as you go and it's <clears throat> it's hard but it's uh it's just part of the game I guess you know <laughs> sure yeah and you've been owning that salon for so long. Where do you see your salon going from now Happy until the future? <laughs> um, yeah, actually, so for a while I was in the mind frame. Actually, before having my daughter, I was just like, you know what, this is it. Like, I want a huge salon. Like, this, like I'm happy with how it is. I just want to, like, take how, advantage how, how of what big, I have. How many chairs do you guys have? Uh, we just have four chairs. And then we rent to a nail artist and we rent to a lash tech. So... Just for hair. So the hair people are my employees. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm happy with this. This is it. Like, I don't want to stress myself out. Then I had my baby again. I was like, I'm happy with this. And then, you know, as life has it, you're like comfortable. And then you're like, well, now what? So, <laughs> <coughs> so then I started to feel Your like, true hustler came out and you're like, girl, yeah, you need my to do more. <laughs> was reborn. And I was like, you know what? Like, where do I see myself going? Like, I have been doing hair for quite a while. And I, as much as I enjoy it, I, I do feel like I'm ready for a different challenge. I'm liking managing. I like leading a team. So now I'm like, okay, you know what? Like, well, actually it was, when was it? Two, two winters ago or winter ago. I don't know, whatever. I went to the girl boss rally in New York, um, for two days and I was definitely inspired because, um, you know, the new generation of business is about change. It's about leadership. It's about changing communities. It's about values. It's about helping the future move forward. And I was like, okay, business isn't a bad word. Like, cause sometimes you get into this mind frame where think like, corporate. Yeah. Corporate heartless. money's bad, heartless. Yeah. Like, you know, like we're using chemicals. We're fucking up the water. We're like, you know, you, you can get in this dark place really fast and, and you can just be like almost ashamed or, or like, I don't know how, why I'm doing this. This is bad for the earth, for myself. Like, what am I breathing? I don't know. You know, like you can get so deep with it, but, but when you step back and you see that, you know, I'm employing X amount of people or, or even if you're not a salon owner, it could be like, I help make these people happy every six to eight weeks. It's like, oh, like you cannot measure the effect that that has on, on the planet. So things like that, um, really kind of re-inspired me to be like, you know what, I can have a bigger salon that does help change and enhance the community and makes a better environment for everybody. Hell yeah. So 
I was like, you know what? I could do this. Like, I could do it different. Like, the reason I didn't want a big salon was because I didn't want a big salon like everyone else who has a big salon. The corporate so, style that they have. Yeah, exactly. Where it's just, like, very robotic, in, out, like, nothing different, the same, whatever. So I was like, you know what? I could do this. I could do it bigger, better. Um, I just need to know my values, know my core. Who are we? What are we not? And, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to maximize what I have now prove that this works if it works here then it definitely can work in a bigger spot you know so so yeah so that's that's pretty much where I'm at I'm at a like I'm in a growth phase which is uncomfortable scary weird and and very roller coastery <laughs> but exciting at the same time so I feel like that's just life itself and do you yeah. see for the future that you know you when you want to be expanding are you going to be still being doing hair behind the chair I mean, I'm going to do it less. Like, I think my ideal would be doing it two days a week. Um, that would probably be my ideal, like two days a week with an assistant or something so that I could try to get as much clients during those days. Um, but otherwise, I would probably still be in and around the salon, but doing different Just managing, stuff. just yeah. managing, right? Managing, exactly. Overseeing, planning. You know, it's. I think it's important to always be in the salon because you pick up on things that are good, bad, what you want, what you don't want, how clients are seeing things, what's their perspective. Um, and that's what helps you make better decisions, you know? So, Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited for the future of your salon <laughs> and you. opening and, and for you to work less mm-hmm. too. Cause it's hard. It's hard to juggle like doing hair behind the chair, making your clients mm-hmm. happy, employees happy. And then you're, employees clients happy at the same time like I know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot it is a lot honestly like I don't think I realized what I was doing until maybe a couple of years ago like I think I don't think I felt proud about what I did until maybe last year like you just really? didn't let myself feel it like I just didn't I was like oh, whatever like I'm, I'm like I'm proud of you and I, <laughs> I just met you I'm like this like, is so cool even when I opened my salon out of my house like I was just like well, whatever and everyone's like you're so brave and I was like really like I was, like, <laughs> I was like okay whatever and then when I had the loft like people were like oh this place is so cool and I was like yeah thanks like I, I've always been very nonchalant very like I'm just trying it out because I don't the thing is I realize is that I never have this big vision before I start something I'm always just like I'm gonna try this out and see how it goes so I have like a no pressure attitude so to me I'm not like this is brave I'm just like ah, I'm gonna see you know now I feel like I'm gonna have to do something brave like my next step is gonna be brave and I think I'll I'll definitely be proud and excited and right now like some personal work I had to go through was like okay I gotta be proud of what I have now if I want to make this bigger and better I need to let that sink in I need to see things for what it is and realize all the hard work I've been putting because it's so easy and so hard especially with Instagram and all that like looking at oh, everyone else and it looks so perfect looks so great and it's like they make it look so easy right? when you know if I'm like I bitch I know it's not easy exactly don't lie to me <laughs> exactly so you know it's like it's so hard and I'm always like oh we need more followers we need more of this but I'm like forgetting to be grateful for what I have and what we have and what we're building because it's true like I and and I said this the other day actually to someone because they're like oh how long have you had your salon and I'm like oh like like seven years or something and I was like oh my god seven years I'm like, that's so long like, I, and I'm just like I'm you don't realize here. you know like it's weird because in one sense I'm like oh this is great what I've done in seven years but at the same time I'm like I feel like I've done nothing like you know because now my goal post keeps getting higher and bigger and it changes exciting, all the time right? right but at the same time I'm like okay in seven years like I started in my apartment and went to a loft I had this place we did a renovation we got like a bajillion employees we had 
assistants that came in and out. We had renters come and go. We had like just so much, you know, and like I've had to hire people, fire people. I've had to like, you know, do contracts, no contracts. I've had to set new boundaries, make new, you know, have receptionists, have people not show up. Like there's just so much. I've had a child, you know, like I'm just like, okay, when you're I still giving it, and you're still giving birth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just like, this is, yeah, okay. I need to like, just be thankful and grateful. And, and it has been a lot of work and, and like, actually I read a, you know, an Insta quote, whatever, the other day. And it was like, don't forget that there's amazing hairstylists with no followers on Instagram and it's shitty so hairstylists with tons of followers. It's so and I was true. like, it's so true. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, you know, anyways, followers, likes, whatever. That's not what actually pays pays the bills. Like, it does not pay your bills. No, exactly. I wish it did, right? but it I does wish. not. <laughs> but, and, and yeah, there are some things that come out of it that do help you pay your bills, but but it's so hard sometimes not to just always judge yourself on that. And, and like, when I think you about... You get up in it. Into you that, get up you in know. it, you know? And, and, like, I think right now what just clicked, like, maybe last week or two weeks ago, I was like, oh, my God, like, here I am, like, you know, just always looking at the next thing. But I'm like, I just hired three new people, and they're both, you know, yeah, they still have some gaps in their schedule, but it's, like, they're at least, like, 60 70 percent full and I'm like that's amazing because like that just proves that we have more demand and that it was like yes. a good choice you know to hire them and whatever and and it's hard because you you take on a lot of you know I'm like oh fuck there's gaps I feel bad I'm like doing all this stuff to try to help fill their spots and this whatever and, and like luckily they they haven't been you know they're not putting pressure on me or they're like oh it's normal you know but it's it's so hard because I take it personal and to hire, you know, yeah. so I'm like, I got to do more. I got to do more. But I'm like, yo, like chill. chill. Because I'm like, <laughs> if they were anywhere else, it would probably be the same, if mm-hmm. not worse. So, you know, so chill out. <laughs> I think when you're, when you've been doing hair for so long, you're so used to it being like busy 24 seven mm-hmm. cause you have that clientele. Yeah. When then you hire your other new stylist, you're like, oh yeah, I forgot when I had like mm-hmm. the gap in my day of like four hours or someone who just didn't show, show up. up or, yeah. Oh my God. No shows. Kill me. Yeah. Kill me. So <laughs> that's, that's another thing. It's like when no shows, like how do you deal with these types of, of things? Do you, you know, like example, we have a cancellation policy. If you don't tell us 24 hours ahead, you have a $20 per hour that you booked fee on your next appointment. But you know, sometimes we let it slide. Shit happens okay, yeah. for regulars. But if you're a new client, maybe we'll give you a warning. And then if you do it again, it's like, okay, no. But then it, it's so hard, right? It's, it's like boundaries again that you have to have. It's boundaries. Yeah. It's so, so hard. So and what's hard about it is like when it's my client with my time, I'm like, oh, like it's not the end of the world. But then I'm like, I had to pay that hairstylist for you to not come. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then it gets harder. But then they have the attachment with their with their um, guest, right? That's like, oh, but, you know, I feel bad. But I'm like, but I was paying you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so it's so hard. It's so hard. And then, like, you know, you have these ideas, like, how do I set better boundaries? But then you're like, do I want to be, like, that, that type of business that's very, like, cutthroat, like, like, don't disrespect my time. Like, where's that fine line? Like, because if you get very anal and like I've seen hairstylists do that online, like, you know, they write like bitchy posts about no shows or their fees and whatever. And it's okay. Like to set boundaries, but there, I think there is a healthy way of doing it. And also realizing that not everyone does it on purpose. Sometimes you do need to put people in their place and then they won't do it again. But it's so, so, so hard to, to find that nice line because 
sometimes we do lose clients because we tell them about the fee and they don't come back. But mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, do I really want them as a client if they don't understand, right? You're like, maybe not. But then you're like, maybe had they come, they would have like understood, understood, you yeah. know? So there's, it's so, so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. It's the boundaries. Yeah. It's hard to find the, the boundaries, like so the fine lines of, of like what you want, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, making the client happy in the day mm-hmm. and paying your bills. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. And your bottom line. Everyone has your, their bottom line of, <laughs> of, you know, at the end of the day, like, this is why I need to run my business. Yeah, so exactly. I, so, that, you know, the doors are open. Yeah. So I can keep it open. Yeah. Well, actually, one boundary recently that I had to, like, step down on was just, like, a client um, who is demanding a refund. And I was like, well, typically we don't do refunds. But I was like, what's going on? Explain it to me. I'm always going to listen, right? You have to listen. And um, I got, it was a client who's from out of town because usually what we do is we don't do refunds, but we'll do a free fix. If something's not falling right, we have a two-week guarantee. You can come back and we'll do a fix on dry hair. You know, everyone's hair falls different. Maybe we parted it wrong, whatever. But she's from out of town, so she couldn't come back. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll give you an exception if it's really bad. I was like, can you send me a picture? Sends a picture. Really, it's not that bad like it looks like you know I would never point her out on the street and say like well you, crazy you look layers. awful <laughs> yeah exactly but she specifically quotes it quote unquote fugly um, oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyways I was like so torn because now with you know social reviews everything you're like oh my god is she gonna leave a bad review is she gonna mm. like blast us is she gonna do this and I was like you know what like at the end of the day like it's gonna happen people will leave bad reviews sometimes but I just need to know what happened. And that's one of the reasons I got a photo. Because I was like, look, if anyone, you know, at least I know. And and um, anyway, so at the end of the day, I told her, look, like, it doesn't look that bad. I explained to, I talked to the stylist how I did it. And I got everyone's feedback that was there when you were here. Our stylist spent an extra 30 minutes on your cut without charging you. Because you were super stuck on your budget. And tried to make you happy. But basically the stop the the client was backseat driving the haircut you know when they're like cut this piece oh this one needs more layers oh i want to see the layers like she wanted to see the layers you know so, so oh she, she wanted the three layer haircut yeah so she okay. wanted to see the layers yeah. mm-hmm. but then she was upset that it was so chunky so anyways long story short i was like look i think that what our hairstylist did and what you wanted was two different things i was like our hairstylist did something you wanted more, so she tried to customize to your liking. But if what you didn't like, like if what you wanted isn't actually what you like at the end of the day, unfortunately that doesn't fall on my hairstylist skills, you know. Um, and I had to just say, look, sorry, I'm not, I'm not gonna to refund you. And that was like so hard because inside I'm also like one of those people who I'm like, you know what? If you're not happy, I don't want your money. Like bad energy. Like yes. take your sixty bucks, you know. Like I'm- fuck out of here. But at the same time, I was like, no, I need to put my foot down. It's not fair because if everyone keeps doing that, um, it looks like I don't have a backbone, you know. So anyways, it was really hard. And then she kind of argued me and and was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm arguing over this. Like, I don't want a full refund, even just a bit. And I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll give you your tip back. I gave her a tip back. And she was like, I can't believe this, whatever. I just didn't reply. But but it's so hard to make those decisions, right, because you're like, if there's a bad review, is it going to fall on my new employees I'm trying to, you know, that I'm trying to book up? Is it, is she going to, you know, you really don't know. And I mean, so far, knock on wood, I've been lucky. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's making those decisions and, and um, it's so hard. 
Oh my god, that's yeah, that's such a crazy story. I feel like I think every single hairdresser that I know mm-hmm. has a story like that, and I feel like a couple weeks ago at the salon I work at, just had mm-hmm. kind of that situation happen where a client wants something, her expectation was something. Yeah. The hairdresser had a consultation that that's not possible. Mm-hmm. We can compromise and do this. The client said okay. Client did not like it. Yeah. Gave a full. Let me guess. Silver Facebook. Hair. <laughs> Yeah. It's always yes. silver hair. It's always silver hair. She wanted like um silver <laughs> platinum yeah. valley eye situation happening. Uh her hair was dark and dyed yeah. and it wasn't possible and it was already fine and damaged. Mm-hmm. And two hairdressers told her no. Yeah. Let's compromise to this. So she said yes to comp- to the compromise, left an awful review on Facebook. Oh, like yeah. Yeah. long review of like how the hairdresser is awful, this and yeah. that. It's crazy. Uh, I think that like so hard social media is a good thing but at the same time that happens and i think that clients forget that we're humans too Mm -hmm. right and we're super attached to our work and you know we love our clientele but it's hard when you leave a reveal like that like it makes you want to cry you're like holy crap am i that bad of a hairdresser Mm -hmm. you know what i mean something we've realized recently and actually uh, kelsey used to call me the silver hair dream killer (laughs) because i got to a point where i tried to make people's dreams come true so much that that I, I I just had to flip it because I was like, you know what? It never works. People are never happy. It's never the silver they want. It's not bright enough. It's not gray enough. It's not blue enough. It's, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do it anymore because it's just, you spend so much time trying to make people happy and you realize that, look, if you're not flexible, then you're not going to like the result because the result is always flexible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, but I'm, you know, I've, that's something else I've been thinking of for our new year is setting new boundaries and new policies for people. And, and one of them is that, I think that as a hairdresser, if we wouldn't suggest it to a client, we shouldn't do it. And and that's because we always get in trouble when we try to do something that someone else wants that we don't even think is a good idea. You know, like if I wouldn't suggest you go silver, why am I acting like you should, you know? Because, yeah. because when we get into this, because we want to make people happy. Yeah. Um, and then we sometimes forget that we're human and we can't make magic happen right so if only we had a wand you know right exactly so it's so hard and I realize there needs to be some kind of boundary there because it's not even about me it's about the science like you know your hair can't get there you know so so what happens when we sometimes try to make those compromises like oh we're gonna go let's do this first and then maybe you can come back in a couple months and we'll try to go a bit more but but we know deep down that, you know, if it's if it's not going to happen now, it's probably not going to happen next time. And it's this is going to be like a five-year process and you're going to have to like, you know, chop your hair and get extensions if you want this to work. So, <laughs> and get a bob. <laughs> yeah, you know, so so at the end of the day, it's like, why are we back backbending so much when we know it's not going to, you know, it's like we just want to be liked so much, I think, that... People, we're people pleasers. Yeah, we're people pleasers, which is great and terrible all at the same time, so... But yeah, it's it's so so hard. You know, we have we have a tough time with that sometimes. Like, uh, I don't know if you saw in our stories. Actually, last week we had a client who came and wanted a silvery lil- lavender balayage and got something like so so close to the to the photo, and and then she wasn't happy because she didn't find there was enough contrast with her her natural color, and she came back for a quote unquote fix. But they ended up going a completely different direction and just going like a dark charcoal black gray or something. But it was so beautiful before, you know, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe she, she ended up going with this, with this color after. But at the end of the day, what's important is she's happy, you know, mm-hmm. but, but sometimes you're just like, 
what the, you know, and, and that's where consultation is so key and it's hard because people, you know, it's like, how much of a change do you want? Is like a, a really big factor. Do you want yeah. people to be like, holy shit, you changed your hair? Because they you... will though. Look yeah. at you. Do, do you mind people looking at you? Because if you yeah. have purple hair, people are going to stare. Yeah, exactly. And or do you want it to be subtle? Do you want it to be like a barely there color? Or, you know, or do you just feel like you need a change? Or anyways, it's so emotional. Everything we do is so emotional and personal. So it's so hard because you literally have to do like a fucking therapy session before getting doing the hair you know, <laughs> to make sure that everything's going to be okay. I love that though. I love I love the therapy session with my yeah. clients. It's like therapy for you and therapy for me. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? It's like yeah. this podcast. I love it. I thank you so much for coming on here and coming all the way up to yeah. the countryside. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm excited to hear and see who your other guests yes. will be. Yeah, it's so great knowing you and I'm so excited for the future of your salon. Thank you. It's I'm really, really excited. And I <laughs> I see the work that you guys have and it's amazing. Thank you. I'm just so excited for what you're gonna be bringing to the table. Yeah. <laughs> 